My verse is John 15:18 that states, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And I chose this scripture because a lot of times when you're going through something, you rely on someone else for comfort. But this scripture just reminds you that he is always going to know what you're going through. 1 Timothy 4:12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct in love, in faith, and in purity. Being born in the summer generally meant that I was the youngest on any of my sports teams. So especially on my soccer team, where we had competitions almost every week, I was generally the underdog. But I had to prove to myself and to the others on my team that I deserved to be there. So that's why I chose this verse. My verse is Isaiah 41.10, and it's my favorite verse because recently I underwent a very traumatic injury in my gymnastics career. I was ordered by the doctor to stay home from school for two weeks and doing so I came back and had nine tests to take and I was totally devastated Then I went to my Bible lab and I saw the verse and realized that I wasn't alone and God is always there to watch over me and support me if I'm ever in a worrying state and um, I just knew I had the support I needed to get through my problems. Hey, good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here. My name is James, and as you saw in this intro video, we are in a brand new series called Hashtag My Verse. We asked you guys what your favorite verses were, and you guys responded. And if you guys haven't done so already, we hope that you guys would take a moment um, sometime while you're here at the church to check out the lobby wall. The lobby wall is full of post-its of the verses that you guys shared with us that speak so near and dear to your heart. And it's been so encouraging and it's been so inspirational. And so we hope that you guys would take a moment to check it out. But when we checked it out, we wanted to see what were some of your guys' favorite verses. And the most popular verse, it was Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This idea of trusting the Lord with all our heart and leaning not on our own understanding, but acknowledging Him. And Pastor Greg helped us unpack that and what that will look like and how we do that with our aim. Well, today what I wanted to do is I wanted to also take a look at one of the popular verses here within our church. And I also noticed that it's a popular verse all around the world. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. If you guys don't know the verse, I'll put it up here for you guys. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And man, this verse has just caught fire all over the world. It's some of the verses that people just live by and are so near and dear to them that they put it everywhere. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but I've seen it on mugs or no, I've seen it on greeting cards. People put it in their greeting cards for graduations or if people are going through a difficult time. And then I've also seen it on mugs as well. You know, maybe as they're starting their day, they want to remember this verse. Others love it so much, they put it in frames and put it around their house. Others pick up other things to create decorations for their home as well. Some people, they want to have it near and dear to them, so they put it on wristbands. And some people even actually put it on their wrist. Um, other people, they want to maybe have it in a place that they really need to trust God in, and so some will put it on their wallet, or some will put it on their bags. And some may even wear it as apparel, like a shirt or something like that. Other people, as they maybe want to lay down and go to sleep, they want to remember this verse, and so they might put it on pillows as well. And so as we, again, look at this verse, man, is it any wonder why people just really love this verse and gravitate towards it? Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I think every one of us, or at least most of us, want to know that there's this idea that God has a plan for our life, and that his purposes for our life are good and will give us prosperity and hope and future. There's great assurance in this. There's this idea of escaping harm and seemingly difficult times. And it would seem like God's plan for us is good, and so clearly suffering and difficulties will not be a part of it. And if, they, if we're facing anything like that, that it'll end soon. And then our flourishing and our prospering will begin. But if we stop and if we pause, is that truly what this verse promises us? See, I think, unfortunately, this verse has been misrepresented. Misrepresented it. And in that way, we have misunderstood it. 
And we've done something very dangerous with this verse as well. We've taken it out of context. And so what I want to do today is I want to take a moment to kind of deconstruct this verse so that we can better understand what is being said. And I also want to put it in context so that we get a fuller, greater understanding of what is being said, why it's being said, and how it still might apply to us here today. And in doing so, we will get a greater appreciation from the promises found here in Jeremiah. But before we do that, I want to pray. And before I want to pray, uh, I just, I had heard that one of our brothers who, had, who was deployed out in the Middle East serving our Air Force is back. Eric Marsh, is he, is he here today? I don't know. Eric, thank you. Just want to say thank you, Eric. We're so glad to have you back. So blessed that you serve our country. Eric, he and his kids are part of our junior high and high school uh, ministries, and I know they've missed their dad, and we've missed him as well, and we're so thankful for him and everyone else who has served our country and protected our freedom. And we just want to say thank you for doing all that you're doing, and we're so glad to have you back. And so with that, hey, let me pray. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for Eric. We thank you for his services to our country and for the things that he has sacrificed to serve us and to to protect us. And God, we're so glad that he's back here with his family and with all of us. And God, I pray for all of those here that serve in the military and and, uh, have protected our freedoms and have gone out there and paid a great price to, to serve our country and to love us and serve and protect our freedoms. And so God, thank you so much for bringing him back. And now, God, as we jump into your text here, uh, as we unpack Jeremiah 29, 11, God, will you help us to understand it for what it truly means? And God, would you help us to do that as we take a look at it in context? And God, I pray, I pray that what people would hear and learn wouldn't be a man's interpretation of it, but would be your divine word. And that, God, your word would penetrate our hearts and provide us the same message of hope and the same, um, same teaching of your character that it had taught the people it was written to back thousands of years ago. So God, teach us now. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I don't know about you guys, but I'm first one to admit that I'm no expert when it comes to communication. You could ask my wife. We've had many, many misunderstandings. And oftentimes it's because we may say things or communicate things in a wrong way. And I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that, but I I found a funny little text exchange between a mom and her son about this misunderstanding and especially a misuse of a word. Take a look. It says, mom is texting her son, hey, uh, your great aunt just passed away. LOL. Son replies, why is that funny? Um, It's not funny, David. What do you mean? Son says, "Uh, mom, LOL means laughing out loud. Mom replied, oh my goodness. I sent that to everyone. I thought it meant lots of love. Oh my gosh, I have to call everyone back. And while this is an embarrassing example of miscommunication and misusing a word or statement or phrase, you know, this only provided maybe a little bit of embarrassment, a little bit of awkwardness, but the reality of it is this. Sometimes when we misunderstand something, there can be great tension for how we communicate that and how we accept that. And I think there has been some miscommunication and misrepresentation of how we have learned and understand Jeremiah 29, 11. And so what I want to do is I just want to pick it apart first. And so if we bring it back up here, you guys can look in your notes as well. But take a look and walk with me through this verse. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Again, if you'll notice something, who is it that knows the plans and who is it that declares these things? It's God. God knows and God's the one that plans these things. And if we really look at it, that means that these are God's plans and not ours. And yet, unfortunately, what we've, ton- what we've done with this verse oftentimes is we made these things about us. And what I mean by that is we've taken that and we've thought, man, God, you are gonna fulfill my plans You are going to fulfill my dreams. God, I know the plans I have for me, and you're going to help that come true. And many understand the text to be about God's favor on one's life and plans. They look at it with this idea of, man, if I just have confidence, if I follow my heart, God will bless me. God will fulfill my plans, and I will be successful. 
But we realize when we just take a moment to really look at this, it is not our plans that are being discussed here. It's God's plans. And even his, 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 the, the use of you in this verse is something that I want to hope, help you guys see and understand better. It's not, this idea of you is not used in a singular way. It's not to one person or individual, but it is actually this idea of us. Or this, actually in the context of here, it's this idea of a plural people in which he's talking to. So in this instance, it's to this idea that he's not talking to any one person, like how we read it, like it's directly for me, but it's actually to a nation of Israel. And we'll take a look at why he's writing to a nation and a group of people, but I think we can all agree that there's a difference between one and many. God is writing to the many here. And God is writing to the many about his plans, not their plans. And something else that I want to help you guys understand and dissect from here is the word prosper. Because that's probably one of our favorite words from this verse. And when we think of prosper, we think of this idea of success. We think of wealth. We think of fame and we think of fortune. And so that's how we understand this verse. But the reality of it is this. In the actual original language the word prosper here comes from the word shalom can you guys say shalom with me shalom and if you guys know what shalom means there's a lot of meanings to it one primary meaning is this word peace and it's not peace in the sense that it's the absence of difficulty of strife and of conflict but it's actually shalom is the peace that is available in the midst of conflict strife and difficulty But even beyond that, the far deeper meanings it carries as well is this idea of perfection, this idea of wholeness, of completeness, of wellness, and of welfare, of health, and of safety. See, if you guys compare that to our definitions sometimes of prosperity, can you see how we misunderstand this verse sometimes? Because ultimately, shalom is about our relationship with the one who can provide us wholeness and completeness see god is the active agent in this verse we do not find prosperity and peace and shalom on our own we find it through him and since it's about him and it was written to a specific group of people not an individual one of the things that i want to make clear is your first point today and so if you're taking notes in your program or in your app you can write this down jeremiah 29 11 is not all about you. Jeremiah 29, 11 is not all about you. See, what we've done with this verse for many of us, we've looked at it through a very self-centered lens, as though this verse is directly for me and it's all about me, when it's really all about God and all about his plans and it's all about his people. And so will you guys turn to your neighbor and say, it's not all about you. Will you turn to your other neighbor and say, it's not all about you. See, the reality of it is this. It's not all about our plans and our dreams. See, actually what happened here is this. As we learn a little bit more about it in context, what God actually does is he upends the plans and the dreams of his people to fulfill his own. And yet here, I want to remind you guys that we can still find great hope in this verse. Even though it's not a promise that is directly to us, we can still find Glimpses of God's character and goodness. We can still believe that God has plans and purposes and he works for the good of those that love him. Take a look in the New Testament. This New Testament is to all people under the new covenant of Jesus Christ. All those that are believers of him. He tells us all that in Romans 8, 28, and we know, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. But here's the thing, we've misunderstood this verse, and so we've had a lot of tension with this verse. Maybe some of you guys have gone through a difficult and painful, hard time, and it's been hard to look at this verse and say, wait, this verse doesn't match up with my life circumstances because my plans aren't coming through, my success isn't happening. Well, maybe now you can understand it a little bit better. But one of the reasons I think we misunderstand this verse is because we've taken it out of context. And when we take things out of context, it can be very, very funny, but it can also be very, very 
dangerous. For instance, let me show you a verse. Somebody thought that this verse was so good that they decided to put it on a pillow. That they were like, this is amazing. I want to always remember it. And so here it is. It says, if thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be mine. If you can't see it there, I'll put it up for you guys up here as well. This is what it puts in a simpler, easier version. It says, if you worship me, it will all be yours. Doesn't that sound so good? So straightforward. This is what we can do. If we want something, God, we just have to worship God. That preaches, right? That's a devotional. That's something that we can hold on to. Except there's a problem if we don't look at it in context. Take a look and look at the verses just ahead of that. In Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, we get an idea of what 7 was really all about. In verse 5, it says, The devil... The devil led him, Jesus, up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Do you guys see how if we took that verse out of context, we would think, oh, see, all we have to do is worship God and he will give us all these things. No, that was never anything that God stated. That was Satan. But we can somehow look in a verse, pick out a verse and think, oh, that's so meaningful to me. But see, the reality of it is this. It doesn't matter what a verse means to you personally outside of its context. See, what matters is what did the author intend it to mean when he wrote it? Do you know why Jeremiah 29, 11 was written? Do you know the context behind it? Let me give you a little bit of it. Here's some background. See, Jeremiah 29, 11 is part of a letter, a letter written to Israelites who are now no longer in their own country. Instead, they are exiles. They were taken out of their homeland and moved 900 miles away. They were no longer under their own government and under their own care. Now they were under foreign, foreign leaders, foreign leaders who hated them, who saw them as enemies. And why did this happen? Well, it happened because God's people, the Israelites, they disobeyed God in every possible way. They traded him for evil gods. They idols, they worshiped idols, and they preferred to worship demons than to bow down to the king of kings. And as a direct result of their disobedience, God allowed them to be taken over and then God sent them into Babylonian exile. So here they were, these people that have been ripped apart from friends and family who are now 900 miles away from home, who are now being held captives in this new place with new rulers and they didn't know how long they were gonna be there and they didn't know what was gonna happen next. Can you get a sense of their uncertainty, of their fear, of their anxiety? At one moment, one day, they were doing their thing, they had these plans, they had these dreams. The next moment, they don't know where they're gonna live. They don't know where they're gonna maybe see some of their family or friends again. They didn't even know if they were gonna survive. So you can imagine, you can imagine what they were hoping to hear from this letter from Jeremiah. And if all they took was verse 11, they would have been mistaken. They would have had an issue with God because they would have seemingly thought, man, God's going to come to the rescue. But instead, take a look. Take a look at the verses just above it when this letter starts in Jeremiah 29 verse 4. And hear what God has to say about the plan that he has. This is what Jeremiah 29, 4 says. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all, all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, do not decrease. Wait a second. God, what's going on here? This is not what we have planned. This is not the idea, right? You got a different, you got something else going on, right? Because we are held captive by the enemy. 
You gotta come and save us. You gotta come and rescue us. You gotta bring us relief. What do you mean? You're telling us instead to make roots here? Instead, you're telling us to make the best out of things? You're telling us to instead keep on living in the midst of where we're at instead of looking for an escape? Maybe some of you guys are in similar positions in your life. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a relationship. I don't know what it might be, but you guys are like, God, get me out of here. And he hasn't been getting you out of here. And you've been like, wait a second, what about Jeremiah 29, 11? God, this isn't my plan. This isn't the, the future that I hope. Get me out of here. You promised it. And God's saying, no, no, no. It's my plan, right? Not your plan. You want to get out, but I want you here. And I want you here, not just to survive, but I want you to thrive. And while you thrive, I also have a plan and a purpose for you. Take a look. He continues on, Jeremiah 29, 7. He says, also, also what I want you guys to do is seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Do you guys see these words peace and prosper again? This is the word shalom showing up once more time. God is telling his people, I want to have shalom come to this place. And what is my plan for shalom to come to this place? By having shalom come through my people who are experiencing shalom through me. See, maybe for some of you guys, you guys are in maybe a job and you're like, man, my coworkers, they're, they're evil. They, they, they don't know Jesus. It's a, it's a horrible environment to be in. God, get me out of here. And maybe God is saying, well, if I take the one believer out, how are they ever gonna know me? Maybe I need you there for a purpose and a plan to bring shalom to the workplace by you experiencing shalom in the midst of your difficult situation and being an example. See, he's telling these Israelites who are now exiles, who are away from home, who want to get out, no, stay here and be an example. Be a blessing. Pray where you're at and pray for those that are above you and be shalom to them. And also in this short little passage right here, we see that God is reminding him, even though that the Babylonians may have overtook you and they have maybe taken you away, don't get it wrong. Make no doubt about this. I have also sent you there. And I have sent you there to thrive, but I have also sent you there to be conduits of my grace, of my mercy, to be an example, to show them that I am God. I am Yahweh. How will they know if the people that know me don't share it with them? See, Babylon needed God, and so God was going to use his people to make himself known to them. And he told them, hey, you can, in the midst of your chaos and difficulty, experience shalom. Even though it's not what you want, I can give you the peace. I can give you the completeness and the wholeness for your welfare. But also, I want you to do that for the sake of the people around you. Even though they're your enemies, even though you don't like them, even though you may not get along with them, even though they may try to do you wrong, do you see what God is telling you there, telling them there? He's saying, you be shalom to them regardless of how they treat you. Bring them peace. Bring them prosperity. Because in doing so, you point to me. See, how many of us want to just get out of our situation and fail to see that there might be a purpose in it? instead. And that leads me to our next point here. Will you write this down? Jeremiah 29, 11 is not just about the future. See, the Israelites were all waiting for the future saving, the future rescue, the future relief of their circumstances and their situation. But God was like, hey, the future I got in my hands. Right now, what I want you to do is I want you to focus on the now and the present. Instead of looking ahead, at the unknown, instead of looking ahead into the future, don't miss out on my gift of the present right now for you. Right? We also want to get through stuff. We just want to get through the week so we can make it through the weekend. We just want to get through work so we can get home. Some of you guys are sitting here like, I just want to get through this message so I can go eat. But maybe instead of saying, I just want to get through it, God is saying, hey, no, why don't you be present so I can teach you and I can show you what's available to you right here and now. That my plan for your future includes you to be focused on me here and now. 
And then Jeremiah 29, verses 8 through 9, show us a little bit more, a little more instructions and warning for God's people. He tells them in verse 8, Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, Do not, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Why is it that he gives this promise, or not promise, but this warning of false prophets? Because just earlier in the chapter ahead, in, verse, in chapter 28, there was another prophet that existed, and they, he was telling a different message to the people. While Jeremiah is telling God's people, hey, make the best out of your situation. Be purposeful in where God has you. Another prophet, Hananiah, was saying, guys, you know what? This is only gonna last for two years. You know what? God's gonna take care of it. Don't worry about it. And, and like we read earlier, this is the stuff that they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear that their, their prison wouldn't last that long, that their exile wouldn't be of many long years. But Jeremiah, God's actual prophet, he actually tells them something completely different and definitely something that they didn't want to hear. And the reality of it is this, guys. We live in a world where there are false prophets. The Bible is clear that we should be wary of people who try to preach something other than what is preached here. And there are people that want to deceive you and teach you other things. They want to only give you what your itching ears want to hear. Right? So often when we're in the time of bad news, we want to look and listen and find other options. Or we kind of want to go and hear the things that we want to hear. But here Jeremiah says, no, be careful of that. Because those words are maybe not of God. They only want to teach you of prosperity. They don't want to teach you of the purpose of the pain. They want to only teach you how to get out rather than enjoying the present with God's presence. See, while others were trying to give the Israelites the things that they wanted, the dreams that they had hoped, Jeremiah was telling them what God had to say. And what God had to say was difficult. And it was hard for them to swallow. And we find that here in Jeremiah 29.10. Jeremiah 29.10 is probably the verse that most of us don't know all that well. Although it's one verse ahead of Jeremiah 29.11. And it's probably, if we do know it, it's probably the verse that we don't want to know the most. Because it's very specific and it's very counterintuitive to what we would want and how we would plan things out. But take a listen. In verse 10, he says this, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years, 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. 70 years. They're probably like, wait, wait, God, I didn't hear you correctly. Well, how many? Seven? No, 70 years. 70 years until the completion of Babylon. Then I'll bring you back to this place. And see, some researchers have looked into this. And when could this have happened? This was likely happening somewhere in the dates of 608 BC to 538 BC. Or others have thought it might have been in 586 BC. See, 586 BC is when we know that Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem and took the majority of the exiles out to Babylon. And even though the Babylon Empire kind of came to its end before that 70 years, at the 70 year mark from 586 BC, which is 516 BC, they considered that this might be the timeline because this is the year that the temple was rebuilt in Jerusalem. See, there's no exact timetable. We're not completely sure. But one thing we do know is that the Israelites, they weren't going anywhere anytime soon. It's not what they wanted. It's not the timetable they expected. They probably wanted God's plan and his plan to be full of just getting them out of a difficult situation. And they probably want it to happen faster rather than later. But would you and I be reminded today that God's plan includes God's timing? And if we want God's plan, we have to be okay with his process and his timetable. And it may take a whole lot longer than we want. And a lot of us, we might struggle with that. Shoot, I know I struggle with that. We want to impose our timetable on God. 
the reality of it is because a lot of us are impatient. I know I'm impatient. You know, there was an article that talked about how we as a nation have become more impatient. In the article entitled The Impatient Nation, it says, we want quick answers for complex problems. The article put it this way, we speed date, eat fast food, use the self-checkout lines in grocery stores, try the one weekend diet, pay extra for overnight shipping, honk when the light turns green, speak in half sentences, start things but don't fin, we tweet stories in 140 characters or less, yet some tweets are too long, so we cut corners, take shortcuts, we TXT and LOL, we send new faces to Washington every two years, then vote the rascals out two years later, clamor for more safety in the skies, then complain when security takes too long and it's inconvenient. We can't take the time to drive to the video store or to wait for a DVD to arrive in the mail so we order them on demand or stream them on the internet or look on YouTube for an illegal copy, right? Isn't this the reality for a lot of us? We are impatient people, but here God is telling them, hey, my plan involves 70 years. And, and could you, let that sink in for a moment too of what that would mean to this audience. 70 years, that likely meant that most of the people that were hearing this message, they weren't gonna see 70 years. They weren't gonna see the fruition of God's promise. So imagine how hopeless and defeating this must have been for them to hear. But then that's where we come to Jeremiah 29, 11. Do you see it? Doesn't it mean so much more? Isn't it a little different now that we have this context? He tells them, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. He's telling them, I, I know it doesn't seem like it. I know it probably surely doesn't feel like it. But he's saying, trust me. Will you trust me? My intention is not to harm you. It is not to hurt you. It is not to do evil to you. It's not to abandon you or leave you. I have a plan. I have a purpose. And I have a timetable. Will you trust me? He has a plan and it's good. It's for shalom, for peace, for completeness, for wholeness in the midst of great uncertainty. And he tells them, don't worry about the future. I have, I'm your hope for that future because I made these promises, I have these plans and also because he offers something so good and so great and it's found, it's found in the following verses of Jeremiah 29 verses 12 through 14. Take a look at what he offers them in the midst of their current situation. He says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I have carried you into exile. See what God offers here. God offers himself. The language here is personal and intimate. He's saying, I know that you guys are 70 years away from probably what you want and away from home, but I am available to you right here, right now. God's presence is the most valuable and most important thing that we could ever have. And that's why uh, I want you guys to write this down for your next, for next point. Jeremiah 29, 11 is not only about the promises. Yes, Jeremiah 29, 11 includes promises and they are good and they are great for his people. But it's so much more than the promises because think about it, what good are promises if the person that gives them is not trustworthy? But the one that offers them is the God of this universe. The God that loved his people so much that he let his one and only son die on a cross for them. And he is telling them, you not only could trust my promises, but even better than that, I am with you as I fulfill my plans and my promises. Because think about that. That is the true essence of the good in good news. 
know, earlier, you guys might have heard, we have an announcement of where we're going to go out and share the gospel with people, the good news of Jesus Christ. And what's the good news of Jesus Christ? That God sent his one and only son to come and save us from our sin, to make us right with God so that we can be with God. And oftentimes, we only focus on the idea of being saved. That's one of the promises that we're offered, but what good is it if it doesn't include being with God? I mean, think about it like this. The ultimate good news and good news is God himself. See, salvation is not good news if it only saves us from hell, but not offer us God. Forgiveness is not good news if it only gives relief from guilt and doesn't open the way to God. Justification is not good news if it only makes us legally acceptable to God, but doesn't bring fellowship with God. Redemption is not good news if it only liberates us from bondage, but doesn't bring us to God. See, adoption is not good news if it only puts us in the Father's family, but not in his arms. Plans of fame, fortune, relief are not good if they do not include God. This is the greatest thing God offers us. More than his promises, he offers us his presence. We were made to experience full and lasting happiness, healing, and shalom by savoring the glory of God's presence with us, not just forever in heaven, but here and now, even in our present situations. But how many of us are just okay with that? How many of us would be fine if we had all the problems in the world, but God was still with us? Or how many of us would be more happier if we didn't have any of the problems in the world and we had all that we wanted, but didn't have God's presence? A Christian counselor by the name of Larry Crabb, he shared a story of how he realized that sometimes we're not content with, God's, with God himself. Instead, we want, we want what he has to offer. And so I want to read it to you now. He said, one Saturday afternoon, I decided I was a big boy and could use the bathroom without anyone's help. So I climbed the stairs, closed and locked the door behind me, and for the next few minutes felt very self-sufficient. Then it was time to leave, and I couldn't unlock the door. I tried, and I tried with every ounce of my four-year-old strength, but I couldn't do it. So I panicked. I, I felt like I might spend the rest of my life in this bathroom. I'm sure my parents and even the neighbors heard my desperate screams, and so I heard my mom come running up to the door and shouting and yelling, are you okay? Did you fall? Have you hit your head? And I yelled, no, I can't unlock the door. Get me out of here. I wasn't aware of it right then, but dad had already raced down the stairs, got the ladder, leaned it against the side of the house just beneath the bathroom window, and then with his adult strength, he pried it open, then climbed into my prison, walked past me, and with that same adult strength, turned the lock and opened the door. So I said, thanks, dad. And then I ran right out him, right, right out the door to go play with my friends. He goes on to say, see, that's how I thought the Christian life was supposed to work. When I get stuck in a tight place, I should do all I can to free myself. And when I can't, I'll just pray. Then God shows up, hears my cry. I recite Jeremiah 29, 11. God, get me out of here. I want to play. Give me that prosperity. Give me the future and the plans that I want. And then he just opens the door to the blessings I desire. But sometimes the reality is that he doesn't do that. Sometimes he does. But now he realizes, no longer being a child, I'm realizing that the Christian life doesn't work that way. And I wonder, are any of us just content with God? Do we even like him when he doesn't open the door we want open most? When a marriage doesn't heal when our kids rebel, when friends betray, when finances run out, when health worsens despite much prayer, when loneliness intensifies and depression deepens, when ministries die or plans and dreams are upended and our futures are left uncertain. Is he enough? See, in relation to God's people here in Jeremiah 29, we see God climb through the small window into the Israelites' dark room of exile. 
And he doesn't just walk by them to turn the lock that they couldn't budge, but instead he, he sits down. He sits down on the floor with them, and he says to his people, come and sit with me. I'm here with you. I got you. Because it seems that he thinks that climbing into the room or to the prison or to the situation of his people and being with them matters more than letting them out to play and getting what they think they want most. Dear church, dear friends who are with us here today, see, the choice is ours. Either we keep asking God to give us what we think will make us happy to fulfill our plans and to give us the desires of our hearts and prosperity the way we know it, to escape our dark room and to run to the playground of, our, of blessings, or we can accept his invitation, his invitation to sit with him. To sit with him for now and perhaps in the darkness to seize the opportunity to know him better, to be loved by him and to be cared by him, to be embraced by him, and also to be a better representative of him to a very dark and hopeless world. See, God is telling us here in Jeremiah 29, you may want to escape. That's your plan. But my plan is to be here in the midst of what you're going through. See, what I want to do now is I want to share with you guys what I've learned from Jeremiah 29, 11, better understanding it and seeing it in its full context. See, what we garner is even though it was for a different people in a different place for a specific thing, there are still truths about God and his character and his provisions and his presence that we can hold on to as his people. And so will you write this down with me? What Jeremiah 29, 11 is really about, it's really about this. God doesn't stop caring for his people because of their past. We remember that the Israelites were in exile because of their own disobedience because of their own decisions to rebel and to do their own dreams and to chase after their own wants because they were worshiping idols and they were ignoring God. But even though that was the mess that they created, God didn't just say, well, you deal with it. That's your punishment. I'll see you later when you've learned your lesson, right? While maybe when somebody has wronged us or hurt us, we'll say, get away from me. You know what? Go deal with it on your own. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you when I feel like it. This is what God does. God says, no, I'm going to be here with you. And I know it might not be good. I might not feel good to you. But, but I'm going to take your situation and I'm going to take your mess and I'm going to make it meaningful. I'm going to be here with you in the midst of everything that you're going through. You know what? Your past will not disqualify you from my love. That's what God is telling us here. So maybe some of you guys have messed up. Maybe some of you guys have done things where you guys have rebelled against God. You guys have been disobedient, willfully sinful, in relationships that you shouldn't be in. And you might think that might disqualify you from God's plans and his purposes, from his, from his, from his provision of shalom. But would you see here that what God does for his people, even though they didn't deserve it, is this, that while they were faithless, God was still faithful to his character of love and forgiveness. And that's exactly what we find here in Jeremiah 29. Verse 11 shows us that he, while they might have chosen to do something and created this mess, God says, I'm gonna jump right in there with you and I'm gonna create plans and purposes for you even through this. Which leads us to our second point. We write this down. What Jeremiah 29, 11 is about, it's about God. It's about how God can provide purpose in our present predicament. God can provide purpose in our present predicament. See, what God can provide for us is a change of perspective. What God can provide for us is a change of narrative. One that goes from God save me from my current situation to God use me. God, if you're not taking me out, then let me see why I'm here. God, help me to make the most out of this rather than wanting to just get out of it. God, let me see how 
it's not just about me, but how you might want to use me in the midst of this. Are you willing to allow God to upend and uproot your plans and your dreams for his plans to possibly bless and save someone else? One person that did was Pastor Dave. You might have seen him earlier as he came up here to share the announcements with us. You know, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Pastor Dave last year had his life completely changed and turned upside down. See, he was getting ready to go on a mission trip to Uganda, and so in preparation for it, he went to go visit the doctor. Went to go get a physical and a checkup to just to make sure everything was good. And as the physical was coming to an end, the doctor asked, you know, the questions like, is there anything else? And so Pastor Dave was like, you know, it's something minor, something small, but I have this canker sore on my tongue that just won't seem to go away. She took a look at it and was like, you know, it doesn't seem like it's anything serious, but hey, let's, let's take a sample of it and run some tests just to make sure and rule anything out. And then a few weeks later, he got a phone call that none of us would ever want to hear. See, on that line, when he picked up the phone, he heard the words, you have cancer. He had tongue cancer. And so from that point on, it was a rush of craziness. It was a whirlwind of chaos for Dave. He had to quickly uproot his plans and his ideas of going to missions and give that up because he had to go and get surgery right away. And while he was going through surgery, they had to remove half of his tongue nearly. And even though they felt like they got most of it out after they reconstructed it and put it back together, they're like, you, we want to put you through an intense cycle of radiation. And they're like, okay, when, when is that going to start? It's going to start probably right around the end of August, beginning of September. You know what happened at the end of August, early September for Pastor Dave last year? He was getting married. So you can imagine how his plans were not going according to the way he, he desired and hoped. And they told him that the radiation was going to be tough. It was going to take a lot out of him. He was going to lose the taste in his taste buds for a while. He was going to be uncomfortable. He was going to be lethargic. It was going to be difficult and painful. And so I remember sitting with Pastor Dave a couple of days before the sessions were going to start. And I just asked him, I was like, Pastor Dave, how can I pray for you? And I was expecting him to say, hey, pray that, man, this thing will just fly by. That it will be seamless. That it wouldn't be as bad as everybody describes. But Pastor Dave, to my surprise, he didn't pray for that. He didn't request that. Instead, he said, James, will you pray that um, when I go to these appointments, that I will be aware of how God can use me? See, I, I know it's going to be tough, and I know it's going to be hard. It, it's so difficult for me, so I can only imagine how it will be, how everybody else in that waiting room will be feeling the same kind of anxiety and fear that I have felt. But I know for me, I'm going in there and I can face it because I have God. And he's providing me peace in the midst of this difficult moment. But I know there are many of those people who are feeling that same kind of heartache and uncertainty and stress and anxiety, they don't have that. I know some of the doctors and the nurses that I will interact, they don't have it either. And so pray that I will be open to sharing my hope for shalom with them, that I wouldn't just go there trying to get through these procedures, but I would go to these procedures being used by God to make a difference. See, this is how God can provide purpose in our present predicaments. And then finally, guys, our last, our last note is this. God's presence provides hope in his plans in the future. God's presence provides hope in his plans in the future. See, God's plans give us hope because his presence is with us. And his presence provides us peace. It provides us shalom in the midst of great chaos. The fact that he is with us and that he has a plan means that we don't have to be afraid of the future. God knows what he is doing. I mean, consider the one that says he has plans. He's the one that made the universe as we know it. He understands that there is nothing, to, understand that there is nothing too difficult, nothing too hard for him to figure out and redeem and use for good. 
See, we may not see what we want. We may not get what we always hope for. Our plans may fall apart and our future may seem unsure, but we are assured here through Jeremiah 29 that God is faithful and that he knows best and he loves us the most and that his plans and his timing are perfect, even if they don't feel perfect. And although it may not seem like it, his purposes and his plans, they might not necessarily be for us and about us, but they may be for his glory and for his purposes to love and to serve and save other people. And so we can know from Jeremiah that his plans have no intention of evil and that the biggest part of his plan is that he is with us. And so if God is with us, we can face our tomorrows. Jeremiah 29, 11, it's not about us, but it's about God. It's about his plans, his purposes, his presence, his faithfulness, his provision to give us shalom in the midst of everything that we are going through, to give us purpose in the midst of everything that we're going through, to give us hope, to give us hope for the future he planned and he's bringing. And that's why this should be all of our favorite verses because it means so much. You know, I know some of you came in here today and you were hoping to hear how God was going to rescue you from your situation or deliver you from it. You were hoping to hear that God, you were going to hear a message that, man, God is going to just do amazing work right here and right now, and he can. But maybe what God wanted to bring to you today is not deliverance from your current situation, but to bring you purpose, to bring you perspective, to remind you of his presence. He may not change your circumstance, but maybe he can change, change your perspective remind you that he is with you all that you face. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And God, I know that there are many in here that are struggling, many people that desire so much for their plans and their hopes to come true, or many in here that have had their hopes and their plans just fall apart. God, would you remind us through your word today that God, you care for your people. And that God, your care for your people includes how you will be with your people through anything and everything that they face. And that you can provide for your people in their present circumstances. Provide them purpose, but also provide them shalom. God, we may want out, but God, you may keep us in. And so God, help us to Help us to know we have the greatest thing with us, and that's you. Thank you for your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.